My name's Olana Mashwan. I'm an Associate Director of the Royal Court Theatre and the Creative Director of Euphoric Inc. And I'm delighted to be here today to welcome onto the stage for this platform discussion um, the Director of Les Blancs by Lorraine Hansby. We have Yael Farber and the Literary Executor of Lorraine Hansby's estate, uh, Joy Gresham, and the Dramaturg of this production, uh, Drew Lichtenberg. So a big round of applause for all three of them today. And the first question I have is for all three of you, so you might want to just take it in, in the running order. Um, and it's very simple in terms of what does it mean to have this production of Les Blancs on here at the National Theatre? <laughs> Joy, I think, yes, maybe you should go first on that. Well, as literary executor, one of my jobs is to because of the particular kind of literary executor I am and how, it, how the job came to me, I license all of Hansberry's works, her print works, her stage works, her audio works, her film works, uh, to anyone who wants use. Um, and originally this request to bring Les Blancs to the National Theater came to me as a rights request. And um, I liked what I was hearing, so I spoke to the person who represented the National Theater asking for more information. And after the conversation, I not only wanted to grant rights, but I wanted to personally be involved in the production, which is something that I can't afford to do all the time, given the fact that as prolific as this writer was, she produced so many works that I'm constantly licensing. Um, A Raisin in the Sun is produced daily all over the world. Um, and this play added to it, uh, and her other two plays, um, takes a lot of my attention. But I heard something, and I thought, this is going to be an important production. And then I spoke to Yael, and we got to know each other, and I heard her passion for the play. And I knew I really, really need to be involved in this. This is going to be an extraordinary work, a once-in-a-lifetime production of this play. And so um, I became um, very interested in following it through, and we'll talk more and more as we go on about the role that we all took in making that happen. But um, so that's one piece that drew me to feel that this was really important. But another piece that is parallel to it is that uh, the work of Lorraine Hansberry is having a tremendous international impact this year, 2016. There are three translations of A Raisin in the Sun, one into uh, Swedish an Afro-Swedish cast with African surnames is, is, as we speak, performing it and on tour in Sweden. There was just recently a performance by the first Afro-Dutch company in the Netherlands, a translation. And this summer, there's going to be a translation of the work into Spanish in Bogota, Colombia, uh, which we're very excited about. It's also um, 
the work is also added to that is this production here. And um, uh, it's just, we never thought that it would have this international impact so that the translations and the performances were bringing a broader audience into the experience of this writer. And so um, I think it's really important at this time that this play be uh, performed. And I think given the content of the play, what it's looking at, that it's even more timely yeah. that it be performed now. So I think those two reasons, it's... Yeah. Yael, what does it mean to you? Um, when I was approached by the National Theatre to direct something in this space, um, Ben, who I was speaking to, said, we'd like you to do you know, what would be a passion project now, but we'd also love it if you read this text. Sure. And I read it, and um, you know, being a director who grew up in South Africa, um, and, and I worked for 15 years on stories that were very specifically South African and African creating new works, um, I had you know, I've been moving through, it's always work concerned with um, human rights violations, essentially, um, or who people are in crisis, um, in social crisis, like the Crucible. Um, but when I read the text, I said to Ben, if I don't do it, will you give it to someone else? And he said, well, yes, we want to do it. And I said, oh, then I have to do it. I just, I couldn't have, you know, bared the idea of anyone else um, directing it. As directors, we get that's possessive. It's, it's, that that has to be done. Right. It's like you know, like you, if you marry that, you won't understand how to feed it, how to <laughs> be its partner, how to you know. So I, I felt um, a very strong collaborative connection to the work. Um, I also think that at this point in time, beyond the obvious things like hashtag Black Lives Matter, the obscenity of that still having to be such a a 101, it's almost ironic in its statement. Um, beyond that is the question of rising terrorism and armed struggle in the world. And, you know, we have a particular knee-jerk response to the question of violence, um, which of course is about our safety and our children's safety. But the immediate, um, uh, quite patriarchal response can be to, to destroy violence with, uh, with violence as an answer without a very deep soul-searching. And I think what this play does with that word terrorism popping up on the stage each night and about us learning to love Chembe and the journey and care about him and see his terrible dilemma as he looks at what the possibilities for his people are, it becomes fascinating for, I think, just to witness the audience having to go into a deeper dialogue about what it actually means to live on a social fault line and to live with very few options and at what point armed struggle becomes part of that dialogue and if that is not a conversation we should be having right now I don't know what is. Thank you. And Drew? Well I, uh, I already knew Yael, I worked actually with Yael earlier this year on a production uh, in America where I'm employed at a theatre and she mentioned that she was working on Les Blancs and we, we sort of struck up a conversation about it. And uh, when she told me she was doing it at the National, I thought two things, one historical, one dramaturgical. Historically, Le Blanc's is a play that um, in America is well known, but there's unfinished business with this play. Um, Lorraine died when she was 34 with this play, uncompleted. Uh, it was produced posthumously. 
1970 in a Broadway production starring James Earl Jones. Um, and it had only been produced once in the United Kingdom, I believe, before. So the fact that The National was bringing attention to this play, which I, I think is an under-recognized play, in which Lorraine herself thought was her most ambitious, most important work. This was her masterpiece in her own mind. I thought it was really, really uh, courageous of the National Theatre and also true that this play is her masterpiece and that we were going to treat it as such. And dramaturgically, what was so fascinating and unique about this process was that Joy very kindly uh, extended me an invitation to go to the Schomburg Center in Harlem and look at Lorraine's unpublished materials uh, for this play. And I believe this is the first production uh, that's taken incorporated material that's unpublished and still unknown to the public. Uh, so in many ways, this is a, a brand new Les Blancs that we worked on together in collaboration. So it's not just a historical reclamation of this play and an airing of it on one of the world's most important stages, but it's also a reinvention of what the play actually is. Which, which is the really surprising thing, I think. Um, those people who know of Les Blancs, as you say, will think of the previous production. And I didn't realize that this is something that you three have, have created, this production here. Joy, you got in touch with Yael. Yael got in touch with Drew. Um, who, what happened? When did, you, when did that all happen? And what, how did we get from that point to where we are now? If someone could outline that. And feel free to chip in if you go, wait a minute, we did this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I, obviously there was a dialogue that had gone on with Joy with the National Theatre in procuring the rights for the work and um, them ensuring that uh, they would be entrusted with then selecting a director. I'm not sure at what point in the process I had been identified as the person to be the director of the work. But I, um, when I read the text, I had uh, said to the National, um, I would love to look at the dramaturgy because I, I knew the history of the play and that um, posthumously um, there had been this real labor of love from um, Robert Nimrov in, uh, after um, Hansbury's death to put together um, these various drafts. Um, and as I read it, I felt that a lot of the debate was so vital and um, dynamic, but um, I, I do as a director know what makes um, uh, the experience of a drama about action. Uh, theater is based on a premise, you show me, don't tell me. Something has to happen. Um, and so I saw where that lag was happening in the trajectory. I had worked with Drew on Salome, um, a, a, a new work that I had created, the Shakespeare Theatre Company, and it was just an immediate and very deep connection of, it's a, it's a very unique thing for me where I, I, f I meet someone who can um, bring that level of collaboration um, as he did to, to my process in Salome. And so I'd said to the National, would there be the possibility of opening up the dramaturgy of the work? Um, who do I have that conversation with? They said I should speak with Joy. Um, and I'd also spoken with the laboratory here who um, create new works, whether I would be afforded the possibility of not only a dramaturg, but bringing in someone from America <laughs> who I'd worked with. And astonishingly, the answer was yes. Um, so um, amazing, amazing, because it, it was understood, uh, you know, you've brokered a relationship with this person and that should continue. 
Um, and then Joy and I got on a Skype and um, I was, you know, how do I position this to not only the literary executor of the estate, but also someone who is so deeply at, at a familiar level connected to the work. Um, and there was not, it, we got on the Skype and it was um, uh, in many ways, most of what needed to be said somehow was already there. Uh, I said things to Joy and she just said, I understand and I trusted. She deeply understood what I was saying and I shared with her my vision for the work. Um, and each time, because uh, Joy is a very thoughtful person, so she takes these particular pauses before she speaks and I kept waiting for the but, <laughs> and there was never a but. Um, and to this point, um, and someone whose assignment is to protect work, which obviously has its aggressors in a certain way, with all the best of intentions, there's a, a core integrity that has to be protected. There was an openness in our currency. Um, and the, so uh, that's, that's the setup of the introduction, but I, I, I'll just briefly say, and then, and then I'll let Drew and Joy speak, that we then met for three days in Montreal. I'm based in Montreal, I have a little one there. So they very kindly flew in, because I'm doing a lot of traveling, and we spent three days really examining the text um, and the trajectory, and Drew is very adept at uh, really looking and identifying at where um, that lag is starting to happen inside the trajectory. And then Joy coming with her very particular perspective and, 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 and um, perceiving um, of, of what we were speaking about. And we had sheets of paper on the wall and looking at the, the structure of the work and very passionate discussions. And, um, and it happened very quickly in three days. So I'll hand over to you guys at that point. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was really an amazing and unique and fast process. Yael asked me to you know, send her some thoughts on Le Blancs, I believe in November, around Thanksgiving. Uh, sorry, Thanksgiving is an American holiday that we have. <laughs> and um, and this yeah. This is 2015, you're talking? Yes. Less, less no, this is less than six months ago. Yeah. And uh, I believe December, I went, to, I went to the Schomburg Center in December or even January. And then we met in Montreal oh, two weeks before rehearsals began in February. So uh, usually the process for a play is a year, if not two years. Um, and this was just quick and efficient and to the point. It's really fast. Yeah. And is, and is that because the national initially thought you were going to do the original version yes. so that you could program it and get cast it and rehearse it away you go? But you, in your wisdom, thought, wait a minute. <laughs> well, when you work on, yeah. I work on Shakespeare uh, productions most of the time as a yeah. dramaturg in America. And when you work on a Shakespeare, you go to the folio, you go to the quarto, you look at Shakespeare's different drafts mm -hmm. and what he was thinking. If, you, if you're working on Hamlet, there's four different versions of Hamlet, including a Baudelaireized bootleg copy. And uh, you need to get a tactile sense for what the primary source materials are for the for the work of theater that you're going to create before you can create it. And I felt like it would, it would be disrespectful to not do that with Lorraine Hansberry, to not get a sense of what her vision was, how that vision evolved in the various drafts, um, what, she, what form was she reaching toward literally as she was, what was she trying to give birth to as she was literally dying in a hospital bed? She had drafts, notebook pages open on her bed of Le Blanc's. And in her very last diary entry, she says, somebody must finish the work if I am not able to. So this was really something that she was trying to bring into the world with her very last 
gasps of energy. And I felt like it was incumbent upon us to honor that vision. I, I would, sorry, I just wanted to add um, that part of, well, Joy, maybe I'll let you speak because what came after that was the actors, and I'll yes. speak about that in a moment, but maybe you can just speak about what then happened for you. When well, you I was going to ask you if you could say a little more about the drafts. Well, what should I say about them? I can say a lot of things. <laughs> you should say, no, just describe the different, uh, the different drafts, just a little bit about the, the range of things you found. Well, what I found is that Lorraine... What was surprising? Lorraine was a writer um, who I would, I would compare to Tennessee Williams. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. She was somebody whose muse was fire. And whenever she sat down to write, she would shoot off in a different direction. So, for, for example, the first draft has this amazing speech that Chembe gives about working in the mines that is the equal of anything in John Steinbeck. And, and the second draft, it's all gone, and something else is in its place. And what Robert Nemiroff, Lorraine's uh, former literary executor, your stepfather, her former husband, what he had done was create a kind of elastic, episodic structure that incorporated all of the material from all of the drafts in a very elastic way, and in a very loving way, because I think it, it, it hurt Bob to cut anything of Lorraine's, mm -hmm. uh, to his core. Mm -hmm. It was an act of love mm -hmm. to, to posthumously reassemble this text. Mm -hmm. But what Lorraine was going for was something that was quicksilver, mercurial. She was trying to catch hold of it, even as it was escaping her, right? And, and what she did in all of her drafts was she, she was working in a very self-consciously Greek and classical way, a compressed dramaturgy rather than an episodic one. So ironically, Bob, by re resurrecting this play, posthumously putting it back together, had turned it into something that was, that was different. Um, and Lorraine was, she was, one of her early diary entries is a classical people deserve a classical art. She was trying to create a kind of Shakespearean or Greek drama for African American, for the African American experience. So I felt like we had to find a way of without losing anything essential, recompressing the dramaturgy. It was really, really vital and important because that was one common thread through all of her drafts. So, Joy, we've heard that there were no buts. <laughs> but were there, were there any near buts? Or were there any areas where you felt certain areas simply had to be protected? Well, I always feel a fierce protection of, of Lorraine Hansberry's legacy. I feel um, that she um, was, there, there was a very short period of time that she was on the planet. There was a very short period of time that she created these works. Basically, we're talking about a 10-year span where she was very prolific, not only as a playwright, but as a journalist, as an activist, as a uh, writer in different forms. Um, she was always working with, on many projects at, at once. Um, true, as Drew just said, she wrote with this kind of mercurial laser precision and dedication, um, but then she always had to turn her 
attention to something else because I think she lived knowing that life was short. And so uh, there's a passion, and particularly for Lorraine, there's a courage and an intelligence that was extraordinary, that is extraordinary, even if you look back on it today. Uh, she was a very realized, courageous, um, articulate woman. And um, I'm fiercely protective of that because I think she was not understood, not, uh, not really uh, valued for her brilliance. And I think that's still true. And in many ways, we're, we're catching up to her. One of the hashtags we have at the Lorraine Hansberry Literary Trust is Lorraine is of the future, and we're catching up to her. And so there's something prophetic about her writing, but there's also something um, fiercely studied and understood and um, reckoned with about her writing too. So I'm protective of that, but at the same time, I feel that um, Lorraine has this iconic presence. People are fascinated, not just with her work, but with her um, and what she produced. And so I feel that one of the things that is at the center of my being a literary executor is to give the public access to her biography, to who she was, as well as what she wrote. And so um, I'm always looking for the right projects, the right pairings, people who really understand that. And also people who are interested. For me, what's key is you have to be willing and courageous enough to want to go past a raisin in the sun that a raisin in the sun was important, but it was Lorraine's first play. And when she was done with it, in some ways, she was done with it. She moved on. And um, the next place she wrote, The Sign of Sidney Brewstein's Window, was as opposite as you could get from A Raisin in the Sun. And um, it was not commercially successful because there wasn't a critical audience that was ready for it, that was ready to let go of A Raisin in the Sun. And so, um, I'm really interested in those kind of partnerships. Are we, are we really ready to take this, this playwright serious and to look into our souls, really, as she is asking us to do in her work? Thank you. Uh, Yael, would you talk about the actors yes, and uh, what happened when you got to rehearsal? Because mm. that's fascinating as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm someone who in the last 15 years has been creating new work. The only text that I have directed in the last 15 years that wasn't my own, that I'd created, um, was The Crucible. Um, so I'm very, very used to, I'm very battle-hardened by creating a brand new work in five weeks and the kind of ravages <laughs> that you go through to deliver something in the same time that people have to rehearse an existing play. Um, and so the actors that I brought into this process, and I'm very careful who I work with, that they have a certain courage, even because my process is not conventional, even when I'm directing The Crucible or a text that exists, um, I knew that it had to be people that were willing to embrace the uncertainties. Um, but I know as a, as a writer myself and as a creator and director that works on the page doesn't necessarily work on the stage. 
Um, and what looks brilliant is you're typing it up on your laptop, you have to see embodied to understand that uh, in principle it looked great, but as it becomes actioned, it doesn't work dramatically. And, you know, Drew and I came to this just both saying, we are, you know, we, we don't have anything that, um, that uh, we, we would decide, Lorraine, hadn't had except that we have time um, on our side, we're alive, to see the process enacted and to solve some of the dramaturgy through the process, because every writer needs that. And so I wanted this process to offer that to this text and to be a guardian of that in some way, to watch and then to see how it was illuminated and what could stay and what had to go. And so the actors who were involved, we still had the five weeks, which is, you know, even with a text, is uh, you're racing against the clock all the time, especially when this play is double the length of a normal play. You're basically staging two plays. Um, and so the actors, you know, by, I don't know, week two, when they came in, there was a box on the table. We had an absolutely brilliant stage management team, and it said draft nine, and half the cast were like, oh my God, and they yeah. nearly, because they'd spent the weekend learning their words, and of course, Drew and I were watching to see what did and didn't work, and then we would go through nights reworking, you know, what did and didn't work, and then the actor would have to very quickly adapt. Um, and let go of what they'd learned over the weekend. And of course, they're racing against the clock to get the words in and to feel certain. So it is a very um, destabilizing process for an actor and one that I'm very used to. But um, so the kind of courage that was required from the actors, but they, they in the way they came towards that and um, allowed us to watch. It was, a, it was a living embodiment of what succeeded and what couldn't fly. Um, as, as actionable drama had to go. Um, and so they, they, the actors became a part of living it for us so that we could then go through the process that Lorraine wasn't afforded. Fantastic. Drew, you look like you were itching to come in on that. No, I'm just thinking of a long Sunday that Yael and I spent in the National Gallery that turned into, uh, I think, 13 hours of text work, our only day off the first week. We, we stayed up the entire night. Yeah, uh, there, was, there was some point in the evening where he said, I could just crash here. And I was like, I think you better do that. <laughs> so I had to call just... my fiance back in America and explain that <laughs> I'm staying over with Yael tonight, but it's not like that. We're working on the text. We're with Lorraine. We're with Lorraine. Yes, Lorraine's making us do it. That's it. That's it. And we literally went through the night um, just and arrived in the morning. Neither of us had slept and with a new draft. And I think it was the morning that Rufus was, was there in the room and we did our meet and greet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh crap, I'm going to meet Rufus Norris wearing the clothes I was wearing yesterday. <laughs> Unshowered, <laughs> exhausted, unshaven. You had a new text. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the yeah. important thing. Yeah. Okay. I'm really sorry, but we're out of time. Um, but I would just say that we've been left with a, a, a vision, really, of um, entering a new era of the Hansberry experimentation, being locked in the room and trying things out, see what happens and see if it works. If it doesn't work, have the courage and the bravery to throw it out, to move forward, to find out what does work. It's a living, breathing, organic thing. So, thank you very much, uh, Yael Farmer, Joy Gunther and Drew Luxembourg. <laughs>